This show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Hey friends, hey Wastelanders and uh, Vault Dwellers, this is your host Tom or Robots and coming to you from my car. It's been a little while since I've done one of these car recordings and I thought it would be a good time to discuss more of the Fallout RPG stuff that I've been playing and, and some of the, the stuff that I've created. Um, I've gotten a number of people, a number of you guys have written to me or contacted me in some in some way and said how interested you are in the Fallout RPG pen and paper game that I've been piecing together. And so I thought I would follow up and give you kind of an episode on how to run a game on your own. What I think I'll do is share a link to the um, either the Google Doc or I'll put it into a, a PDF or something online that you guys can access. and show you my notes and my, um, basically what you'll find is you'll find it like a character sheet where you can create your character, you can pick your race and your job. There's like professions that you have in, in the vault. Um, and then the stats that are associated with those and everything works on the same way it doesn't fall out with, with your special, you know, your strength, perception, etc. And you'll also find, um, a list of weapons and items and even um, random encounters. So for example, if, if your adventures decide to go somewhere, it's gonna take them a while to travel that way, wherever they're going, you could roll a d20 and something will happen. And at least it, it gives you kind of a jumping off place. So maybe they run into a caravan of robots. And then you decide, okay, well, in the moment you can decide, okay, this is what the robots are doing, or this is why they're here. And this is how it relates to the game that they're playing and that kind of thing. So it's a lot of, a lot of jumping off points. If they decide to search something, then I have a D six, um, list that lets you know if they find an item or if they find a trap. And I think it's like, they've got a one third chance to find a trap, two third chance to find an item. And, if they roll a six, then they win, then they find two items or something like that. And then you would go over to the item list and there's different types of items, everything from stim packs to armor, to weapons, to all sorts of stuff. So you'd roll to see what kind of item they get. And then you would find out, okay, they get, uh, let's say they get a weapon and there's six different lists of weapon types, everything from pistols to rifles to uh, melee weapons, that kind of stuff. And so if there's six different lists, you would roll a D six to figure out which list you're pulling from. Then you go to that list and let's say that list has 10 items on it. We'd roll a D 10 to figure out which item they got. And you can always add bonuses like as they level up. If, if for example, they get a, a pistol that does like one D six damage, then maybe as the, 
as the <laughs> game master, you decide that now this is a really awesome pistol, so it has a plus two to it. Um, so a lot of it is very up to the dungeon master and how you feel like you want to balance the game as it goes. Uh, I don't actually have any monster charts with stats. I've been kind of making those up as I go. For example, a Deathclaw is um, hard to take down. So if when, like when my level one, I think there were level one adventurers ran into a Deathclaw, there were five of them in the party and each of them had in the range of like 10 to 12 health, something like that. And the Deathclaw itself was a single enemy with 50 health. So they could all fight the one enemy, but the Deathclaw had its own abilities and, and things that it could do. And, and there were things that I made up on the fly. And that's, that's most of the um, dungeon mastering part of it. It's a lot of just deciding what things make sense in the moment. If you've done enough Dungeons and Dragons, you kind of have a sense of that. If you're a certain level character or a certain level party, then the enemies you're going to come across should have a certain range of health, uh, a certain amount of opportunity to do attacks and things. And everything in my mind tries to make sense in the way the world works. So for example, a Deathclaw could charge at you. It could swipe at somebody with its big claws. It could bite at them. That kind of stuff. Like the Deathclaw isn't going to all of a sudden shoot fire. That doesn't make any sense because that's not how the game works. If you ran into irradiated ghouls, they were going to work in the game like irradiated ghouls do. If you ran into um, raiders with explosives, then they're going to be able to throw explosives. So you're going to have to figure out, okay, what does an explosive do? Well, maybe if, if it's a grenade, it does 1d6 or 1d8 damage in a radius of 10 feet or 15 feet, whatever you want to decide. And I've got some notes in the sheets about what I was using for some of those stats. Um, but again, you can, you can make it up as you go. My advice would be to, once you come up with a rule, let's say you need to, let's say someone says, oh, I've, I'm, you know, I want to use a stick of dynamite that I found and you don't have dynamite written on the list. Come up with a rule that makes sense and then write it down on your dungeon master sheet. So if you're like, well, dynamite needs to do more damage than a grenade, or it needs to have a bigger radius or something like that, then you would say it does X amount of damage and it has X amount of radius. So that's kind of the fundamental way that the game works. Um, when you create your characters, let's talk about that. <coughs> Excuse me. When you create your characters, you have your special your special totals. So for example, if you were to build a human, you would have your base stats for strength, uh, intelligence, all that kind of stuff. And if you pick a fry cook or something like that, then you, that's your job. Your job is going to give you a bonus to one or two of those specific stats. Now, certain types of classes have a deficit. So for example, Super mutants start with less than 10 health. 10 being the 10, let's think of 10 as the even number. That's that's average. So anything lower than 10 is going to take a, a reduction to its rolls. <coughs> anything more than 10 is gonna have a bonus. So let's say you add up the strength down the list. You have, let's say 10 is your base strength for your race and whatever uh, 
job you pick gives you a plus one in strength. Now you have 11. And then let's say the th you get three extra bonus points that you can add to any stats you want or all in the same stat. So let's say you wanna go really, be really, really strong. You put all three of those in strength. Now you have 14. So your total strength is 14. So what that means is when it comes to anything that you do that involves strength, that you are going to get a plus four bonus to that, to that D20 roll. So in the uh, bonus section underneath your total stats, you're gonna subtract 10 from your, from your total. So if you have 14 strength, then you end up with four, so a, a bonus of plus four to strength rolls. If you ended up with a negative eight intelligence, then you have a negative two to intelligence rolls. And again, it plays out like it does in the games. If, if you need intelligence to do something like hack a computer terminal, then that would make sense. That's gonna affect your ability to hack the computer terminal. So let's play that scenario out. Let's say you are in a room and there's a computer terminal right next to a locked door and your character says, I wanna hack the computer terminal. And the character has a negative two bonus so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is a medium difficulty computer terminal. So I'm gonna say, they're gonna, in my head, as the dungeon master or game master, I'm thinking they need to at least roll a 10. They've got kind of a 50-50 chance on a d20 die. But since the character has an intelligence of eight, then they're gonna get a minus two to that roll. So even if they roll a 10, they really only got an eight, which means that they aren't able to hack it. And Similar to the game, we could say, okay, you tried to hack it, you failed, the terminal has now locked you out. You can't, nobody else can try to hack it. And then of course, everybody in the party yells at them for trying to hack it when they, had, when they were the dumb one in the party. And they're like, well, find a way to open the door. And so they say, okay, well, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pick the lock. Now, maybe this is an iron door with a really difficult lock. And even though they have 11, um, uh, what would it be, agility, so agility is similar to dexterity. So let's say they use their agility, their, their finger agility to unlock a lock. Then they have 11, that would be a plus one to their lock pick roll. And let's say it's a really difficult lock. I'm, I'm in my head, I'm like, well, you need to get a 16. If they rolled a 14, that would be a plus one because they have 11, because that's 11 is one more than 10. And so they'd only up, end up with a 15 and they still wouldn't be able to pick the lock. And they're like, fine, I'm just gonna bash the door down. Now they've got a bonus of plus two to their bash, and let's say it's just, it's a really well-made lock, but it's just a wooden door. So they need a 10 to, in my head, they need a 10 to knock that down. And they roll and they get a 12 plus two, so it's 14, so they have no problem. They bash the door down and get into the room. Now you may want to also include what happens when they bash a door down and go into a room. Is the person on the other side, is there a person on the other side? Are they now clearly aware that somebody's entering the room and ready for them? Or is there a trap? And when you bash down a door, you don't really have an opportunity to clear away a trap. So maybe it automatically springs the trap. What kind of trap is it? Is it an explosive? Does it have a radius? Is it a shotgun on the other side that blasts at them because it's tied to a string? You know, think about the things in the Fallout games that happen and all of a sudden you have a situation that your your party has to work their way through. And this kind of 
role works for everything. When it comes to your health, that has to do with your endurance score. So when you're, when you're building a character for the first time, your level one health is gonna be equivalent to your total endurance. So let's say you build a character that ends up with just 10 endurance, average endurance. That means they also have 10 hit points. And as you're going about the game, if they take damage, that reduces their hit points. Let's say they take a gunshot and they take three damage. So we'll say, oh, the gunshot grazed your arm. Now you have seven health because you took three damage. And that's kind of the way it works. Let's say they want to heal themselves and they have a stim pack. Well, I think if I don't have the sheets in front of me, but I think the stim pack will do 1d8, like a, a basic regular stim pack will do 1d8 of health return to your character. So they roll the d8, they get a four, four is more than the remaining health of three, so now they're back up to full health. So they've gone back up from seven to 10. They can't go to 11 because they can't have more than their actual health, unless they have something that allows them to do that. When it comes to combat, then you have um, initiation. So you roll for initiation, and that has to do with your perception score. So the more perceptive you are, the more of a bonus you have to being ready to fight something. So if your perception's a 12, then you get a plus two to your initiation roll. Uh, enemies will also have perception abilities. So let's say you, they're fighting some sort of rabid ghoul-looking dogs, and the ghoul dogs can smell them out, so they have a bonus of plus three to their perception, then they, they might have an advantage on initiation rolls. But of course, they could roll a one, you know, you never know. Um, so once you're in combat, everything goes play-by-play uh, play in, in the order of initiation. In a tie, then whoever has the most perception would win. So let's say two people roll 12, and uh, Jim and Jane roll 12. Jim has 11 perception. Jane has 12 perception. Jim must have rolled an 11 plus one. Jane must have rolled a 12 plus two. Since Jane has more perception, then she actually goes before Jim. So again, very similar to Dungeons and Dragons. This is all based off of basic Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Now here's where it gets a little bit different. Your, because your modifier is the distance from 10, so a, a strength score of 12, let's go back to our, our character with a strength score of 12. It has a plus two because that's two, 12 is two more than 10 to their strength. Then they will not only have a plus two to their attack roll to hit somebody, let's say they want to hit somebody with a baseball bat, they'll have a plus two to their attack roll to see if they land the, the, the attack, but then they also have a plus two to their damage. And everything just is simplified that way. So if somebody is using um, a pistol, then they need to use their agility to be able to shoot accurately. And if they have a plus one to their attack roll, then they would also have a plus one to the damage that the pistol does. So it's all kind of flattened across the board. It's a little bit easier just to kind of know how that works. Now you could have items that give you bonuses. You could have a pistol, pistol plus one. So if you have a plus one agility, and a pistol plus one, then that's now a plus two to both your attack roll and your damage roll. And you can make up your own rules. If you feel like that's not quite fair, then you can say this is a type of pistol that gives you a plus one to your attack roll only. And you, you can kind of customize that as you see fit. But for the most part, especially for people who haven't really played a lot of pen and paper RPGs, this is kind of an easier system because it's just 
it's just a simple number to remember to add to the things you do when you use a pistol. Um, armor works similarly. So your endurance works like your basic armor level. So everyone has their endurance. So let's say your character has 10 endurance, then in order to land a blow, somebody's attack roll needs to be more 10 or more, or actually more than 10, 10 tie goes to the defender. And so it's not that hard to hit somebody if they don't have any armor. Each piece of armor gives you a bonus to defend on your attack roll. So that means that if your base endurance is 10 and you have leather armor, leather chest armor and leather pants. And I think I've divided armor up into, uh, it's either just chest and just pants, or there's also a helmet. I'm, I don't remember off the top of my head, but each piece of armor, chest, pants, and or helmet can give you a, a bonus to your endurance. So let's say the leather armor gives you a plus one. Um, and each piece of leather armor gives you a plus one. So you have a piece for your chest and you have a piece for your, for your legs then that's a one and a one, so that's plus two. So now you have an effective endurance of 12. So now an attack roll has to beat a 12 to, to land on you. Uh, something like power armor could have something, I think it's like something like eight or 10. And so you're much harder to land a blow on. But of course, by the time you're getting power armor, if you've designed your game well, then you're going to have enemies that have modifiers to their attacks, like maybe a death claw with a plus six to a claw attack. Well, that might be able to land on somebody who has a 20 on their defense because they have 10 endurance plus 10 for their power armor. Make sense? Now, I should, you know, I should take the time to kind of write this all out. Um, I've got all the stats and things listed out, but I don't have instructions so much on how to play. Um, but again, it's, a lot of it is up to the the game master. You start initiation, you go through combat stuff, you, you roll from there. Um, if it's if it comes down to something that the player wants to do and they have to contest, and I think I mentioned this before, they have to contest the ability of somebody else, then it's basically a whoever gets the higher roll after adding your modifiers. So somebody who wants to sneak past somebody is going to have to use their agility score in order to sneak past somebody. They're gonna use that, that bonus. So they're gonna roll a 20, add their bonus. Let's say they have 12, so that's plus two. Let's say they rolled a 14. So 14 plus two, that's 16. They're going against the perception of the enemy. Let's say the perception score of the enemy, it's it's a ghoul and it's not very perceptive. It's, it's all kind of gross looking and can't see very well. So it has a negative three perception then the goal rules a 14 also, but it turns into an 11, which means the agility roll beat the perception roll and the person is able to sneak by without the ghoul seeing them. Then there's also luck. And just like in the games, luck can add or detract from your ability to, to do something. So when somebody has a bonus to luck and they roll to see what is going to be like let's say they search something, then you can use their bonus to luck in some creative ways, like giving them uh, advantage on a roll. If they have over a certain luck bonus, maybe they get advantage, uh, meaning that they can roll twice and take the better number. Um, 
you can also, you can use luck in similar ways on other things. Like if they're trying to sneak, how lucky are they? Maybe you incorporate their luck into their ability to sneak if you, if you want to do so. Um, some characters will decide to build a very high luck character and very low everything else. So you can kind of bend the rules a little bit and let the luck play into um, if they get to, to do something or if they get a second roll or if, you know, whatever. So for example, if a character has a bonus of, let's say, plus three to luck, maybe that means that plus three is about a third of out of 10. So that's two of the numbers on a D6. So maybe they have a third chance to get an extra roll. So when they attack something, you roll a D6 and you decide if they get a five or six that they get an extra roll. And you roll a five, sure enough, they get an extra roll, they get to they get advantage on the attack. Um, so that stuff isn't hard set, but it's things that I've kind of played with a little bit when, when it's come to characters being creative with their characters. Um, you could also give them the, uh, the ability to, uh, for example, if they have a high luck skill and they find something and it's kind of crappy, you can give them the ability to re-roll from the item list and see if they get the opportunity to get it, something else instead of that thing. Um, so they'd be effectively trading it out. Then there's the level up system, which I've mentioned on one of the previous shows with um, ghouls and super mutants mutating and getting bonuses to certain types of stats and humans and synths can train a skill up and they get to choose which skill that is and robots get to make a improvement to themselves as long as they have a story and in item reason for being able to do it so something like pulling apart parts from another broken robot in order to make their arms stronger would make sense maybe they're able to uh, increase their endurance because they can pull metal plates off of something else and patch themselves up so that they have more resistance to you know being bludgeoned and being shot with guns. So that kind of stuff. So you can play with all that kind of stuff. Um, let's see, anything else that off the top of my head that you need to know to play the game. Um, each character starts with items. The uh, characters can be irradiated and that's again something that you have to decide. Radiation can do a certain amount of damage per turn in combat if you were irradiated in area. Let's say a uh, glowing one got too close or exploded or something that could irradiate the area and then the people within that area would take radiation damage unless they're wearing something like power armor or a hazard suit in which case they would be protected from radiation or if they're a ghoul or a super mutant maybe they'd actually be healed by it so you can play it that up um, robots in general I would say are immune to radiation damage because they don't have living cells that can be uh, destroyed. So that's kind of a, a general rule for radiation. So that can kind of mix it up a little bit. You could even have a building they break into that's irradiated. So they have to kind of break the party up and send some people in, but hold some people back or find a way to get rid of the radiation. Maybe they can find the source of it and remove it, or they can um, find some items to give them some rat away, which gives them temporary immunity or Radex or something like that, right? Temporary immunity or the ability to heal it after they take the radiation damage. 
Um, you could also play with disease. There's diseases that I've listed out and the diseases have different effects. So if something's trapped or if they get attacked by certain types of animals, you could, you could say that that animal has a chance to disease them and give them certain stats in being able to be diseased. And again, that's something that either endurance or luck could play against if you wanted to roll against those things for happening. Uh, let's see, what else is there? In general, when I play Dungeons & Dragons, I, I try to set up a situation and let people decide what to do and give them only as much as they're able to perceive in a situation. So, for example, let's say they enter a vault and the vault is dark, there are no lights on, and they can hear a sound like a kind of like a, a rapping sound or a tapping sound coming from above them in the main room. Now I'm not telling them, hey, there's a bunch of uh, rad roaches crawling around in the ceiling. I don't tell them that. I only tell them what they can perceive in the moment. Lights are off, they can't see anything, and they can hear this tapping sound coming from above them. And as we know, rad roaches can climb on walls and ceilings and stuff. So if they were to turn on the light, then they would see the rad roaches climbing around the ceiling above them. But what would logically happen if you turn on a, right, a light on in a room with a bunch of roaches, they'd start scattering and running all over the place or attack you. So that could trigger the, the attack. So maybe them walking quietly, if they're smart enough to do that and keeping the lights off, would help them survive the situation. Um, also situations like encounters when you come across, so a few times in my games, I would have the party uh, would need to camp for the night and any of the biological creatures would need uh, to at least rest if not sleep. Robots don't need to sleep. That's another bonus of being a robot. And in setting up their camp, I might just do a, a perception check. I might say, okay, who's, you know, is anybody staying up to watch the camp? So everyone else goes to sleep, the person staying up is staying up, and then I do a perception check with that person to see if they notice a thing. And maybe the thing that's there to notice is that somebody else has set up camp a distance away from them and started a fire. And maybe this fire is pretty clear, so they've got a really good chance of, you know, maybe as long as they roll a six or better, they perceive the fire at the other camp. And then if they perceive the fire, then I give them the opportunity to decide what to do. And sometimes they'll decide to wake up the members of the group, or sometimes they'll, they'll decide to get a little bit closer to see what else they can see. And so I'll build the scene from there. I'll, I'll let them get a little bit closer, and depending on the way that they're moving, the kind of character they are, what the, what the environment is like, is it, is it desert, is it rocky, are they walking through a forest? Is there a chance for the whatever that is, let's say it's an enemy, to see them? and I might do a perception roll on the enemy, see if the enemy notices them or not. Um, I might ask if they're sneaking or wait to let them tell me how they're approaching in order to determine how easy it is for them to be seen. And then again, this is definitely a place where you can use a roll to contest stuff. Maybe they're like, yeah, I wanna sneak up. And so I know that the camp up there has three people in it and one of them is, sta is standing watch. So that person, that sneak is gonna contest their perception and let's say it, Let's say the player wins, and so now they can sneak up very close to the camp and they can see pretty much everything that's going on there from their vantage point. Um, let's say they decide to climb up a tree, and then now they're able to see more of the camp and they did it silently and they were able to not get caught. 
let's say they decide, okay, they, they realize that these are raiders and they want to start taking a shot at them. Well, then now they have advantage on attack and they, I'm going to give them the opportunity to have an attack roll, at least one attack roll before the other team has the ability to respond. So I might give them a, like a free shot at one of the, at the, at the guy who's awake, let's say. And I might even give them advantage because the, uh, the guy's completely oblivious to him and he's getting this free shot and he's hidden up in a tree. So a lot of that stuff is, is very situational. You can kind of set it up as you feel like you need to as you go. Um, outside of that, uh, just, all the rest of it is general role-playing advice. You know, have, have a sense of a setting for a world have a reason why your characters are planning to work together. Oftentimes in parties, you'll have that one guy who's like, I'm gonna do the despicable thing. And then everyone in the party starts wondering why they're even hanging out with them anymore. Um, so you can kind of head that stuff off at the past and say, you know, give me reasons why your characters know each other. Why, why are they spending time together? Why are they working together? What is their common goal? What are their individual goals? Um, have an idea of what the <laughs> the enemy or the potential enemies that they're going to come across are and are like and where they are in the world even if it's just generally to the north a few days travel or to the west a few days travel um, also make sure that you have a way of setting up uh, an initial MacGuffin something that causes them to go on the adventure either to retrieve it or to discover answers about it, something like that. And be sure to play off of, and this is one of the things I really enjoy doing with my games, is play off of their expectations. And what I mean by that is if somebody, if they come across somebody who is overly friendly, they are going to be suspicious of that person <laughs> because that's weird, right? Like the expectation is they're going to come, come across somebody who's going to be a little bit, let's say they're living out in the wasteland, they're going to be a little bit rough around the edges. But this person is overly friendly. So they're going to be hesitant about that. They're going to be suspicious. Sometimes the best thing to do in that situation is just make the character genuinely overly friendly and super nice because they will never expect it and they will constantly think that they're gonna get backstabbed by the character and they will all, they'll constantly watch their backs. But the character doesn't fit the stereotype of the way too friendly guy who's gonna stab him in the back. That's a lot of fun. Uh, play, play with their expectations. So for example, in one of my adventures, I, they spotted a Deathclaw at a distance next to a human and the Deathclaw wasn't attacking them. That's uh, everything up until that point with my party. I explained Deathclaws were dangerous. The Brotherhood of the Steel is hunting them. They're definitely not ready to fight one yet, that kind of stuff. And now here they've come across uh, a woman with a Deathclaw walking seemingly together. How does that make sense? It, it, it creates the sense of wonder. Like, well, what is that? Why is that? Um, another fun thing to do is to uh, give personality to the NPCs and have them say absolutely ridiculous things in order to really kind of build out the world, just like you would in a Fallout game. So, um, so, <laughs> so like uh, Miles Niles, the overseer of the town that I 
set up and both of both stories start in this town with the same overseer is an extremely likable dude who plays the saxophone and joins in with the band at night at the bar at the local bar and i had prepped um the saxophone solo to loop on my computer and play endless endless whisper saxophone solo um which of course is funny but also makes people wonder like what what is it with this guy he seems a little weird <laughs> you know like is there something i need to be suspicious about um in general i've also found that most players especially newer players are tend to be very suspicious overly suspicious at times of things that don't really need their suspicion and very slow to act and then will very quickly jump to making very rash decisions without thinking them through um, and I have the example of throwing a grenade up in the in an air vent above above them like in order to clear out ghouls like if ghouls are coming through an air vent above you then they're probably coming through the vent from a distance the a grenade's just gonna blow a hole in the ceiling it's gonna be easier for them to fall out <laughs> of the vents that's still connected to the rest of the ceiling so there's a little bit of that kind of stuff you can kind of play with but um, in general let let the logical thing happen and I think that's probably one of my best tips is if if it makes sense or if something is logical then let it happen if it's possible and they roll good enough then let it happen if it goes against what you were expecting and breaks kind of where you want the party to go good because now the party's really driving the adventure they're going to enjoy it more pivot go with it um, if you get something let's say a random encounter that you roll for them being out in the wilderness and it's not something that you really have much of a plan around go with it like do your best to to accommodate that and if you just give it a few moments thought and, and maybe even describe the situation as if they're seeing it in a distance to kind of give them time to figure out what to do that's going to give you time to figure out how to paint the situation or maybe how to connect it back to other things that are already going on in the world and make it make sense a little bit more with the things that you've already established for them also and i think this will be my last tip draw from things in the games and i've said this before but draw from stuff that happens in fallout especially if you're playing with people who don't don't know the games very well they find a, a vault somewhere fill it with gary's if they find a uh uh, megalomaniac maniac enemy then make it the machinist if they come across a research facility then maybe that's where the synths are being built you know that kind of stuff like like take stuff from the world and and play it out if they come across a random encounter in the world maybe it's some brotherhood maybe it's the enclave maybe it's the minutemen just pick a faction and go with it give that faction its own agenda and unless they're absolutely violent give them a moment to kind of see how the group responds to them and communicate a little bit about what their goals are and let the group decide if they want to confront them avoid them work with them that kind of thing and it's especially exciting as somebody who has some fallout knowledge to take new people through this stuff because the you see you see a, a paladin in power armor a brotherhood paladin power armor and that's intimidating looking stuff and paint the picture as if like this is a dude in a big metal suit 
who is super intimidating and has got a gigantic weapon. They don't, they don't know who the Brotherhood is. Maybe the Brotherhood is not trustworthy in that area. Maybe they are. Maybe they have a super mutant in their party and the Brotherhood guy wants to shoot down the super mutant, but holds his shots because there's humans nearby too. You know, like come up with all sorts of interesting ways of fitting that stuff together. The What's wonderful about the Fallout games is that there's so much already there that you can pull from. And there's so much you can do with with the world and, and that setting. So I hope that gives you guys kind of a foundation for how to go about using my rule set and the stuff that I've built. Um, there has been talk on the Discord a few times of people wanting to get together, and I don't think it's actually happened yet. And I'd be happy to, I, I don't know how much time I have to really run another adventure with all the other projects I have going, but I'd be happy to give some tips and kind of help help it get started, potentially if I can if I can make the meeting time. So yeah, that's that's what's going on there. If you are interested in maybe setting up a game with some people over the internet and just kind of doing a voice chat game or maybe even some screen sharing. I, I know there are people who are interested, so check out the Discord. There's links in the show notes. And if you guys have any specific questions, let's let's chat some more on the Discord because I think some other people might benefit from seeing those questions and the answers to them as well. Um, and if you have if you have the opportunity to take this and play it with some of your own friends who are, you know, not necessarily over the internet, but like who live near you that you get together with, let me know how it goes because I'd love to hear your stories and relay some of the stories that you guys tell me on the show. Um, I think that'd be super fun to tell some, tell about some of your adventures and the ridiculous things that happen in the wasteland. So I think that's about it. Thanks for tuning in guys. Um, as I mentioned in the episode, the Bethesda episode, the E3 one. Um, I'll be back next week with a regular episode, but I thought I'd give you kind of an update on this stuff since there's been a lot of questions about it. So until I talk to you guys next week, have a good week and I will see you later. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon.